When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take for yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Let's pray together. Dear God in heaven, as we ask you each week, we ask you to be here with us in this place at this time. And we trust that you are here. May my words be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've always fancied myself a writer, and there have been times in my life when I've even gone so far as to think of myself as a good writer, but even on my best day, I could never dream of composing a sentence that made use of the word whoredom three times. <laughs> That's talent, right? As I was reading uh, the, th the three or four scripture readings that we have sort of to choose from to preach on this week, I thought that they were all so wonderful that it would be a hard choice, but only one of them uses the word whoredom so often, and so my choice was very easy. This is one sentence. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go, take for yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. That is commitment to an idea. The author of Hosea really wants to drive whoredom home for us. And what makes it even more fascinating, even more intense, is that God is using this idea, this idea of whoredom and prostitution, to illustrate what his relationship with his people is like. Let me explain what I mean. You see, people have been trying to describe God's relationship with his people using illustrations and analogies since Adam and Eve, literally. And Scripture has many such illustrations most of which you'll be familiar with. God is the king, we are his subjects. He is a father, we are his children. He is a vine, we are the branches. God is a shepherd, we are the sheep. These are all good, accurate, biblical illustrations that are helpful when trying to understand the relationship between God and his people. But in Hosea, we have a different illustration, and maybe the most intimate illustration of all, given to us by God himself. God here is the bridegroom, the husband, and we are his bride. But even that doesn't quite get to it, does it? God uses Hosea and his life and his story to show us perhaps the most profound illustration of all. God is the husband, and we are the unfaithful wife. God is the faithful, and we are the whore. Now, I know that's heavy, but listen to what's going on here. Hosea is to become a prophet, and so it's his job to understand the Lord and his relationship to the people so he can properly prophesy what God wants him to say to the people to whom God wants to say it. So, 
This is God teaching Hosea what he's like. Remember, this is Hosea verse 1 of chapter 1. This is the very beginning where God is beginning to show Hosea how to be a prophet. He says, when the Lord first spoke to Hosea, this is his first notes to Hosea about who God is and how he relates to his people. And understanding marriage, says God, will help a lot in understanding how God relates to us and how we relate to God. But not just any marriage. No, sir. In order to properly illustrate what it's like for God to be in relationship with sinful human beings like you and me, God has to tell Hosea to marry an adulteress. Go, take for yourself a wife of whoredom. So understand this. A good marriage doesn't actually give an accurate picture of what it's like for God to be in relationship with sinful human beings like you and me. To get an accurate picture of what it's like for God to be in relationship with people like us, you've got to be talking about a terrible marriage, the worst marriage. Now, before we talk specifically about the reading that we have before us this morning from Hosea chapter 1, I want to give you just sort of a quick overview of Hosea's story to put what we're talking about in context. So God tells Hosea to marry Gomer, this wife of whoredom. She is an adulterous woman who will betray and be unfaithful to him. He knows that going in. But God tells him, this is the woman for you, this unfaithful woman. They have these three children with these very strange names, but we'll get back to the kids later. Then, just as predicted, Gomer is unfaithful to Hosea, which you would see if you read on in Hosea's book. She moves in with other lovers. She abandons Hosea completely, and eventually she becomes a prostitute. But then, in chapter 3, God tells Hosea to go back to his unfaithful wife. She who has abandoned him completely, this woman who has been profoundly treacherous to him, God tells him to search for her, to find her, to get her back. And when Hosea eventually does find her, he finds her for sale. She's basically at a prostitution auction, available to the highest bidder. This is the image of what God's relationship with human beings is like. Tim Keller the great preacher from Redeemer Church in New York City, says that God, through this story, is saying to Hosea that when your wife goes and puts herself in the arms of other lovers, that's exactly what happens when I love my people, when I love human beings, and they put other things before me, and they worship other gods 
before me. So, according to God, this, of all things, is probably the best way to illustrate what it's like for God to be in relationship with us. Not a king relating to his subjects, even disobedient ones. Not a father relating to his children, even bratty ones. Not a shepherd relating to sheep, even wandering ones. The best way for God to illustrate what it's like for him to be in a relationship with us is a long-suffering, faithful spouse whose beloved partner consistently and deliberately puts herself into the arms of other people. But wait, that's not really me, we protest. I'm not all that bad. Every time we put something, anything, in our lives before God, we are running off to other lovers. Every time we think of ourselves as in control, every time we think of ourselves as the arbiters of right and wrong, every time we wrap ourselves in the comforting blanket of our own good deeds or supposed wisdom, every time we forget just how desperately we need saving, we are running off to other lovers. Unlike our God, who is faithful, we are unfaithful, offering ourselves to anyone and anything that will tell us what we want to hear. It's tragically simple and true of every single one of us. But thank God, it's not the end of the story. So what does God tell Hosea to do? with this unfaithful woman who has abandoned him and run off and put herself in the arms of these other lovers. Well, what God tells Hosea to do, remember, is an illustration of how he will relate to us, his unfaithful people. God tells Hosea to go find this woman who has abandoned him for these other lovers, to seek her out no matter how low she has fallen. And remember, he finds her for sale as a prostitute in the marketplace. This is what God is like. Hosea goes back to Gomer at her lowest point, and he buys her back. So it's not just that God is faithful and we are unfaithful. It's so much more, and it's the best news that God is faithful when we are unfaithful. Now, I promise to get back to those kids that Gomer and Hosea had that we read about this morning with those weird names, and now's the time for that. The, the first one, a son, is named Jezreel, but I want to talk about the second two kids. They have this second child, a daughter, and God tells them to name her Lo-Ruhama. Now, this means no pity or no mercy. Her name means no mercy. 
Because, says God, I will no longer have pity. I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel or forgive them. So, imagine it. Every time Hosea looks at his daughter, he will remember that God will have no mercy on his unfaithful people. Ouch. But then God takes it even a step further. Gomer and Hosea have a third child, another son. And then we have what might be one of the most terrible verses in the entire Bible. Hosea chapter 1 and verse 9. Then the Lord said, Name him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. And yes, in case you were curious, Lo-Ami means not my people. So every time Hosea looks at his son, he will remember that God has disowned his faithless people. You are not my people, and I am not your God. So this is the situation in which we find ourselves. Hosea has been told to marry this woman who will be unfaithful to him because Israel, God's chosen people, have been acting like a whore and running after other gods, so Hosea must marry a woman who will run after other men as an illustration. Then Hosea is given these kids, and he's told to name one of them no mercy because God will have no mercy on his people. He's told to name the other one, not my people, because according to God, Israel, in their unfaithfulness, are not his people, and he is not their God. So this is about as low as things can get. No mercy. Not my people. But remember, this is just the beginning of the story. God's not finished with Hosea yet, and he's not finished with us, his unfaithful people. If chapter 1 and verse 9, where the Lord tells Hosea to name his son not my people, is one of the most terrible verses in Scripture, then I offer chapter 2 and verse 23 as perhaps the most hopeful. So I'll start reading at verse 21. This is Hosea chapter 2, beginning at verse 21. And in that day I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth, and the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel, and I will sow her for myself in the land. And I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Listen to that. I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. This is the God that we worship. This is the God who is faithful while we are unfaithful. 
This is the God who has mercy on those who don't deserve mercy and who claims as his own people those who are running away from him. In Romans chapter 4, Paul says that God, quote, gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is what God does. He gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things which do not exist. This is the God that we worship. This God who is best illustrated by an faithful husband rescuing at great cost his unfaithful wife out of prostitution. This God who sent his perfectly righteous son to pay with his life for the sins of the world. This God who could, under the law, by all rights, give us the names, no mercy, and not my people, but who instead, because of Jesus Christ and his gospel, calls us beloved. We have come here this morning from the auction block, having offered ourselves for sale to anyone and anything that will make us feel good. Some of us have come here this morning feeling that no mercy and not my people are pretty appropriate names for us, knowing how we spent this last week or last month or last year. Every one of us comes here this morning in need of rescue. And when we come here, what do we find? Not first a king, not a father, not a vine, not a shepherd, but a loving bridegroom, a husband, ready to buy us back, ready to give life to the dead and call into existence the things that do not exist. You and I, who were and so often still are so faithless, are purchased by the blood of a faithful God and are recipients of this incredible promise. I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. I will say to sinners, you are saved. And so, we are. Amen.